All personnel, please report to the quarantine zone. This is not a test. A new episode of Presbyterians in Quarantine Drinking Coffee is about to begin. Welcome, friends, to another thrilling episode of Presbyterians in Quarantine Drinking Coffee. I'm your moderator, Mark Mernan, and once again, I'm joined by my co-host here, Wes Lover, pastor of Cornerstone Presbyterian Church in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida, and Andrew Jacobson, pastor of Sand Harbor Presbyterian Church in Jupiter, Florida. All Presbyterians here, mm-hmm. all accounted for, here yes. from the quarantine locker. And gentlemen, we've had a number of wonderful conversations and discussions regarding the attributes of God. And this week, we, it's our, 13, our lucky 13th episode. Is, mm. that, is that a lucky, lucky number? Lucky 13, yeah, man. It's like a baker's dozen. <laughs> is that a biblical concept? It's a, it is, pretty much. Lock, superstition, <laughs> you know, the, cat lie, the die cast in the lap or whatever. Mm-hmm. But this time, it is the omniscience and wisdom of God. And I am, I am eagerly waiting to hear you two discuss omniscience and wisdom and chiming in myself. So... Yeah, again, we have 30 minutes to try and take not just one, but two, but two related ones. Two related attributes. But, yeah, we're, we'll, we'll attempt to do it. Okay. Omni, meaning? All. Science, meaning? Knowledge. No. Okay, fantastic. Wiz? <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Uh, I, half of oh. a cheese. <laughs> the other half of cheese. The best part of yes. the cheese, whiz, whiz. Okay. Yes. All right. All knowledge. Mm-hmm. And we are claiming that our great God has all knowledge. And this is actually... Uh, communicable to a degree, mm-hmm. and yet not. Yeah, so with the omniscience of God, we'll, we'll kind of start with there, wisdom being a, a subset of this. Mm-hmm. The omniscience of God is communicable in that God has made us as creatures with knowledge. Okay. We can take in information, we can remember information, albeit very fallibly yeah. right. and weakly, whereas God, he knows all things. And so I think a good definition of omniscience is that God knows everything about everything and everyone all the time. Yeah. And that's a key distinction. With omniscience, it's, it's not that God is like some supercomputer right. that just has all information stored that he can access at some point. No, all mm-hmm. knowledge of all things and all people is instantaneously, simultaneously right before his mind as if it was the only thing he knew. So there's no blue circles like the little tidy the, the, bowl the wheel thing, death, the little wheel the, on the, the computer sur- yes. trying to process it here. Yeah, if you're a Mac person, you know, that, that color wheel of death <laughs> that you <laughs> see. Yeah, I'm retrieving, we'll be right with you, or yeah. not responding. We don't have any of that here. And what we call immediate knowledge, correct? Yeah, yeah he, he knows it instantaneously and simultaneously. Yeah. Packer says that God knows the future no less than the past. Yes. And also included in that, and this is something that I thought was just an interesting and fascinating thing that maybe we can discuss a little bit is all of the possibilities that will not happen in the future. But yes. here I'm going to pitch this really quick oh, because boy. I think it'll be a fun conversation, right? If if God know how does God know all of the possibilities if God also wills everything that happens? Oh boy, right. <laughs> it, it it gets into endless regression. Doesn't it does. It? it does. Yeah. What if? What if? What yeah. if? And yet yeah. he has made himself known. Mm-hmm. And has all knowledge. Yeah. Yes. So there isn't anything. I, I think the as we were reading through this in preparation here, the comfort to the believer that nothing is overlooked or forgotten mm-hmm. in God's purview. Yeah. Yeah. With God's knowledge, 
you know, we have that line in uh, the song, Holy, 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 about God. He, he was the one who is, who was, and who is. will be. The one who mm-hmm. were, who are, and evermore shall be. Well, God's knowledge is also similar to that. God knows all things that were, he knows all things that are, and he knows all things that will be. Yeah. And this is where you can even, you see the interrelationships between the attributes. That God's omniscience is related to his eternality. God's eternality is his attribute in relation to time. God is outside of time. Therefore, all time is, in one sense, present to him. And therefore, he knows all things about past, present, and future events. Mm -hmm. And even God's omniscience is related to his omnipresence. Because God is not limited by space, and therefore he's always present everywhere, God knows all things about Mm. everything and every space that's going on because he is there. Yeah. Even on as we kind of begin this conversation on the omniscience of God, I do think much like the holiness of God, mm-hmm. there is a sense where which it is both communicable and incommunicable in that the finite can truly understand the infinite. And this relates to knowledge, right? I think that there there's definitely a sense in which uh, the, the knowledge, the wisdom of God cannot be communicated to us only partially and sort of in, in a, a way that we can understand. So how, how, let me ask this then, how would, because all knowledge that we have is revealed, yeah, because we cannot see, and yet God's knowledge is quantitatively, not just, not, not, I'm sorry, qualitatively, not just quantitatively, but Mm. qualitatively different, and that he knows as an aspect of his having made everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, here's the thing is, is. God created knowledge in a sense, right? right. Um, all that we know, God created. All that we know is of God from God. And so there's nothing that can be known that it, it does not have to do with God. So just as God is, just as God is, his eternality is the aspect of his temp, the temporal nature of time as the creator of time. Mm-hmm. So God is, in essence, the revealer of knowledge. Yep, exactly. Wow. Yeah, with omniscience and with any attribute where we can use the term a communicable attribute, mm-hmm. it implies that God is the source and fountain, mm-hmm. and we are merely deriving and drawing yeah. from that. Yeah. So, for example, even with God's wisdom, that God is the God only wise, which First mm-hmm. Timothy uh, refers to. And therefore, any wisdom we have is only because God grants it. We only derive wisdom. Mm-hmm. God has wisdom. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so this, so this exactly. derivative... This derivative knowledge, uh, and that's, that is, it's derivative of the source of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, similar to how an artist creates, because we have the image of God, mm-hmm. an art, a writer, a poet, a sculptor creates something mm-hmm. from the existing creation. Yeah. And therefore, we know things in the same sense, do we not? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, what Andrew said was sort of hitting the nail on the head there in that what our knowledge is derived from the knowledge and that the, the knowledge then being all that God knows. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. And because we're made in the image of God, we recreate and re know things derivatively. Yeah. Uh, it's, 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 so it's, just the human faculty of being able to use our mind to think, to reason, to yeah. remember all these things is an evidence of the fact that we've been made by God. Yeah. Who, 
is the one who ultimately does those things in a perfect, infallible, infinite I, way. I think as we approach the, the end of our time together, we, as we relate it to the gospel, how, how is that ability to know then redeemed through the gospel? And we bring that up towards the end here. Oh, I thought you yeah. said we're ending now. <laughs> no, only eight minutes two, as much as you'd like to. Yeah. You've got to drag this out for yeah. a little bit longer. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking about too, um, and, and there's a difference between worldly knowledge, like things that we can know, uh, about creation and uh, that which is revealed in scripture being like biblical wisdom. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking of Ecclesiastes, Song, Solomon. Solomon, he talks about um, the, the sort of the knowledge that is under the sun, which is a Hebrew idiom meaning life apart from God. Mm-hmm. And so he's talking about knowledge there specifically that he's seeking after that is actually Apart from yeah. God, in a sense, because it's, it's without, worldly yeah. knowledge. Knowledge yeah. without taking God yeah. into consideration. Knowledge without yes. taking God into consideration. It would be like, you know, the equivalent of spending your entire life in academia without never opening the Bible. Because yeah. mm-hmm. you're not utilizing the source of true knowledge, but you're gaining uh, earthly knowledge. And earthly the wisdom, wisdom. that, yeah. that uh, James yeah. warns against. Yeah, exactly. Central, demonic. Well, let's exactly. make sure, since we're putting omniscience and wisdom together, make sure we define both. Yeah. So what is, no, let's, let's get to the discussion of wisdom. Yes. And so wisdom is, is one that's a, a byproduct of knowledge in that when we have a, a collection of information about things, when we have a collection of facts, wisdom is the ability to take that understanding and then act on it in the best and wisest possible way. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't use wisdom yeah. to define wisdom, but it's, it's taking the information we have and then acting on it in the most perfect and best possible way. Yeah. Wisdom in, involves both knowledge plus application, then, yeah. would you say? Okay. Yeah, it's, it's taking that information and applying it yeah. in, in the ways that are most appropriate. So how then does the fear of God relate to gaining wisdom? Mm-hmm. Solomon, Proverbs 1, the fear, yeah. of the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Yeah. How does that relate to? How does that relate to? The, the fundamental basis mm-hmm. by which someone can actually go and live a wise life is mm-hmm. they have to acknowledge the fact that there's a creator, we're a creature, and we're dependent mm-hmm. on him and have to live in light of the fact that this is his world, not mine. Yeah. So understanding then the relationship and the distinction between us and the immortal, invisible, mm-hmm. God-only yeah. wise yeah. is really the beginning of true wisdom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it, until you have that very basic, fundamental understanding that... And this also relates to our humanity and being born uh, into sin, specifically the sin of Adam. Mm-hmm. Because if without that fundamental understanding that we are not holy, right. that we are sinful, that God is holy, that God is sinless, that creates a fear. And then if without that fundamental understanding, there's no wisdom that can be had. Because how can we approach God if we don't understand the very basis of our relationship with Him as being finite and sinful creatures in light of an infinite and holy God? Yeah. So really, reverence, reverence yeah. is the uh, is the position. Humility and reverence is the is the means by yeah. which whatever wisdom we attain yeah. is attained. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, another way to think about it is God, in His wisdom, created this world, and the way He created it is displays his wisdom. So in fact, you know, a number of scriptures, the Psalms, the Proverbs, the the authors of those scriptures are looking at creation and saying how wisdom is displayed and how things work. The human body yeah. displays wisdom and how it works together. 
the way the stars shine, the way the sun rises and sets displays wisdom. And therefore, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom means that we acknowledge there's a designer and an author who has designed things to function in a certain way. And we have to understand that. Yeah. So that when we use or, you know, exist in those relationships, we, we follow his wisdom. It's like when, yeah. when someone makes a product and they write a manual, we would be foolish to try and use that product, mm-hmm. especially complex ones, by ignoring the fact that someone else made it and actually gave us a manual for okay. following Okay, Let, let's first of all understand that we are men here <laughs> and looking at directions or even asking for directions is antithetical to the gender. It's part of our toxic masculinity. Exactly, yeah. so. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I love the IKEA directions. Yeah. They're written in pictures. Some, pictures. Pictures. Yeah, yeah, I know. They're written in some foreign language, which and little well, the guy with a little tool. There. Yes. Yeah. Um, Mark, before you, I was kind of wanted to bring this up really quick. I think wouldn't you guys say that the fear of God, as it relates to wisdom, because we are talking about wisdom today, and I really want to hit on this. Right? Is the fear of God a healthy fear of God? Is something that is um, lost in many churches today? Sure. And and that there's almost a uh, an appearance of a, a lack of reverence a lack of just giving the due honor that belongs to God because of his holiness. Right. This is something I thought. Yeah. No, I, 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 and that because we have generationally and through evangelicalism uh, digressed or regressed to the point where, you know, yeah. God is our friend mm-hmm. above all of his yeah. other attributes. Uh, mm-hmm. We have lost that reverential awe for mm-hmm. the creator of all things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and we've paid. Yeah. We paid the consequences, haven't yep. we? Absolutely. Uh, we see it uh, every day in our culture. Let's 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 address some uh, one of the conundrums. Uh, what a great word that is—a conundrum. What what a, how do we address the issues in Scripture where it appears that God is surprised, or appears not to have known? I'm I'm thinking specifically of Genesis uh, Genesis chapter six, uh, five and six. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth; the, every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it sounds as if, wow, suddenly he's surprised. But yeah. we know that's not possible. Mm-hmm. So break that down for us. Well, I'll just start with this, and Andrew can piggyback on this and give a more full explanation. But when I just think of, of how, how if, does it necessarily mean that it surprises God because it grieved his heart? And I would say no, because think about your children, right? When your children disobey, is that really surprising to you? I mean, no, the surprising was the frequency. Yeah, definitely it, not. To me. <laughs> it, but but does it grieve you? And the creative means by yeah. which they did it. Yeah. But but if, if no. it's a rejection of you and 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 it's sort of um, a disregard for your authority and and sort of showing a lack of respect and love for you. Sure. Then it grieves you, right? Correct. And so, although it's it not that I'm surprised yeah. by that, and yet it, I still yeah. feel that weightiness. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. So I don't, I don't think the fact that God is grieved by the sin of man um, in any way sort of violates him, his omniscience. But, but it follows up in verse, it follows up in, what is it, verse 7 here? So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face mm-hmm. of the land, for I am sorry that I have made them. Yeah, and now again, we have to, instances like that, we have to put in the same category of when, like the scriptures, for example, uh, say that God has like physical body parts, Correct. like the eyes of the Lord, the, the right hand of the Lord. It's, it's metaphoric language. In anthropomorphic, which, so Yeah, to anthropomorphic speak. Is, the, is the technical term. When it's speaking of God in human terms. Yeah, sure. It's, and, yep. and John Calvin gives the illustration of 
a father stooping down and lisping to you know the littlest child. He, yeah. He's trying to stoop to their level, to condescend to the level so that they can understand. And so I think what the Lord is doing there in Genesis 6 is he is in one sense revealing to us in human terms the seriousness with which we should view sin. Mm-hmm. Sin is a grievous, ugly, yeah. heinous thing. Yeah. Right? And another example, and actually to continue in Genesis, in Genesis 11, you have the Tower of, of mm-hmm. Babel. Tower of Babel. And in the Tower of Babel, you have them building the tower. The and page then in, turning is my Bible. Yes. I just want to bring that. The sound of paper. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I have right. an electronic Old one. Old school. Because I respect, you know, people's ears and things like that. <laughs> in Genesis eleven seven, Lord said, "Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language, so they may not understand one another's speech." And so you have this idea of, of the Lord. It's, it's coming down to discover what's going on. Well, even in Genesis. Uh, Eleven six. The Lord said, "Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language. And this is the only beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them." This was not out of the purview of God. He's yeah. not suddenly waking up one day. Holy moly! They're building a big tower. How did that happen? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. What it is doing is it's communicating, in one sense, a how the pride of the people of Babel. And what they're trying to build is actually so insignificant and such a front to God that God actually has to, quote unquote, come down to see what they're doing. They're building this tall tower to the heavens. And yet it's so infinitesimally small compared to the God who's in the heavens that he has to... You know, travel. He's got to get on the elevator, as it were, yeah, to come down right. and see what's going on. Wow! Like I want to go see my granddaughter up yeah. in Maryland yeah. once the quarantine <laughs> is lifted here, because I don't know what's happening. I mean, I get pictures, we do, but I don't know what's happening. I have to go there. Yeah, it's a literary device to yeah. to humble the pride of the people in Babel who are trying to build this tower. That the the Lord who they're trying to build the tower to actually has to come down to see them. Doesn't mean he he actually geographically has to move. Right. He is everywhere. Psalm 139, Mm -hmm. that most beautiful psalm, speaking of the the psalmist describing the beauty of God's knowledge. The, uh, O Lord, you have searched me and you have known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. This is why God's knowledge isn't just... So our knowledge of information is related to external things that we can see and observe and take in. But God is the one who can actually search the heart. He can see through the motives. He can see the inner secret thoughts that we have, Right. uh, which is something that we cannot do. And this is, I think, something that we should be in awe of. And it's the reality that it's not just that God knows everything. It's that God knows us (laughs) intimately. Right. That he chooses to know us intimately. Right. Right. In a very personal way, it's one thing to just say that he he knows everything. He has all knowledge that can right. be had. Like he's the yes. cosmic Encyclopedia Britannica. Yeah. It's far beyond that. And this is what we we talked about so often in this podcast, especially as we've been going through the attributes of God. Is that God is both far and He is also near, transcendent, right? and imminent. And he's imminent. Yeah, yeah, he's transcendent, and he's at the same time imminent, and that he knows us in an intimate and personal way. He knows our thoughts. He knows. Uh, our attitudes, every single um, one of our emotions, the way that we're wired. And here's the amazing thing, is that God knows us far greater than we know us, right? Mm-hmm. And that there's... That's, I, I, that's I think shocking, this isn't often. it? Yeah. That's shocking, yeah, isn't I, it? it was so, think, we're so in tune to ourselves, yeah. and yet we know yeah. nothing. Yeah, exactly. And I, you know, I, 
I, I think about this too. One day in, in eternity, it's going to be nice to ask God questions about myself. Right? <laughs> wow. We're all asking the yeah. same thing, Wes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, another important aspect of, you know, biblically thinking about God's omniscience is in the book of Isaiah, especially Isaiah 40 to 48. Right. The prophet Isaiah, speaking on God's behalf, uses God's omniscience as a way of distinguishing him from the false idols Correct. that the nation has gone to worship. In fact, Correct. in Isaiah, uh, I think it's yeah Isaiah 41, in verse 22, God is calling the idols uh-huh. to, to account. He says, let them, let them bring them, let the people bring their idols and tell us what is to happen. Tell us idols, the former things, what they are, that we may consider them, that we may know their outcome or declare to us the things to come. Tell us what is to come hereafter that we may know that you are gods. And so one of the litmus tests of the true God is does he know the past? Does he know the present? Does he know the future? And is it fulfilled according to his word? And that's why God's omniscience is such a key attribute to understand because it is what distinguishes him not just from humans, but from the false idols that people often worship. The fact that God can tell us the future, that he can prophesy about mm. you know, the Messiah who is to come and all these yeah. things. And fulfill it in such a way that in retrospect, we see, oh, that's what he meant. Yeah. Yeah. It seems it's shrouded in mystery. Now, the, the, the virgin birth, I'm thinking of an example, what Isaiah uh, prophesied the virgin birth. Mm-hmm. Who would have thought? And yet when Mary conceives, it's mm-hmm. spelled out for us. Uh, the book of Revelation, the mysteries that are expressed there that that uh, confound the wisest, most brilliant theologians. And yet, once it's played out, we will see how accurate to the nth degree that prophecy was. Yeah. Well, it really goes to show God's sovereignty in salvation or election and, and how someone could reject the Messiah even, right? And you think about just the the perfection of Scripture in the Old Testament and how it transitions into the New Testament yeah. and things like you're mentioning, right? And these these perfectly fulfilled prophecies and also the way the typology that we see the apostles using the New right. Testament and that the way that they, they use the Old Testament. And you read that the way they use the Old Testament and it's like, wow, for example, um, and I have been talking about Jonah a lot because I just did a series, but... So uh, when when Christ refers to himself as the greater Jonah, it's like, right. <laughs> what's he doing there? Yeah, exactly. What's he doing there? Yeah. Exactly. And then you read Jonah and you see all these just uh, amazing similarities, similar right. to the resurrection, sure. Um, the, the three days in the tomb, all of these things, and it's like, wow, it's it's unbelievable. And it does, and God's you know ability to work through his prophets to foretell the future mm-hmm. doesn't just show his omniscience that he knows what's going to come to pass, but also displays his wisdom. Because what yeah. he fulfills in his plan of redemption, which the prof- the prophets are foretelling, mm-hmm. demonstrates that God does all things in the best possible way, in the yeah. most appropriate way, in ways that human wisdom could never devise. That he would bring about his son through a virgin birth. That his son would you know grow up in obscurity, come from this nowhere place and this nowhere family, and yet he would die on a cross. Mm. You know, an, an instrument of death that hadn't even been invented. Right. And yet that's what the Lord uses mm-hmm. to, to show that his son is the one who bears the curse mm-hmm. and that he would raise him from the dead. It is, it's the gospel application where we most appreciate his omniscience and his wisdom. wisdom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And God's wisdom, uh, just as I think we heard in one of the, uh, one of the uh, programs we were listening to earlier, 
that God's wisdom is most magnificently displayed in the act of salvation, mm-hmm. in the uh, birth, death, and resurrection mm-hmm. of Christ. Yeah, we see it clearly in creation and just looking at the wonders of how he made things. And just the, the human body, how it works. I mean, with the eye, with the nose, our senses, the ability to di- digest food yeah. and excrete that food. I mean, there's, there's wisdom in all of that. <laughs> all of it. Yeah. Astonishing. But, the, but, but the, in redemption. But the, in redemption. I mean, let's, let's address that in the minutes we have left here. The, the, the necessity of uh, the virgin birth, the sinless, perfect obedience of the Son manifesting itself in His innocence and then his judgment, the judgment against him at the cross, and finally his vindication in the resurrection. Yeah. Uh, I, who could have staged such a, 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 a play? Yeah, it, it's, it's amazing because the more that you get to know the Bible, the more amazed you are at just the way that everything fits together. Yeah. And the way that everything is just so intricate and so perfect and so detailed and like all of the typology and everything and how it all just culminates at the cross. It's, it's unbelievable and it's, it's uh, inhuman. It's mm-hmm. supernatural. And it, the reason is, is because it's wise beyond us. Beyond right? what, we could, what we yeah. could hope and for. And so yeah. like nobody can sit down and write a book so perfect. It's not possible. No. You can, there's no book that you can go read and after reading it, I've been a believer 10 years. You guys have been a believer much longer than I have. And after all these years, continually finding out new and amazing things, right? You, you can't write a book that perfect. Yeah. It's no. not possible. No. Nor as is, nor is detailed, nor as revealing. Yeah. I think that's what comes after, oh my gosh, Absolutely. 35 years as a believer. I'm still mm-hmm. astonished yeah. by what I read, especially as I see more and more of the intricacies underneath. Yeah. Oh, unbelievable. Yeah. Gospel wisdom in salvation. How is God demonstrating wisdom in crucifying his son? Hmm. Yeah, well, the way Paul speaks of it is that there's a conundrum. There, there's, there's tension because God is just, which means he cannot you know, wink at sin. Mm-hmm. He can't sweep it under the rug. But God is also gracious and merciful. And desires to forgive us of our sin. You know, he, he forgives sin to a thousand generations, like these wonderful things in the Old Testament. So how can God be just and the just justify it? Yeah. And the way he does that is mm-hmm. by sending his son, who is fully God, and yet in the incarnation becomes fully man. Mm-hmm. So he can provide this mediator who can perfectly represent both parties. He can represent God the offended right mm-hmm. the one whom our sin is all against yeah. and he can represent man who is the offender, offender the one who has committed all these offenses and he can perfectly fulfill all the demands of god's justice and yet at the same time provide all the justification we need in his righteousness in absorbing the wrath of god which is due for our sins so that we can then be adopted in as children of God, and that God can be just, perfectly just, perfectly just, and yet be perfectly justified in forgiving us our sin. But not only does He, Without not only does He make us righteous, which is an unbelievable grace, but then He makes us members of His family, yeah. Yeah. giving us the status of sons and daughters. I mean, exceeding. It's one thing to clear a man of a charge, or to exonerate him, or to pardon him. 
But then to bring him into your household, set him at your table, mm. what is that? Yeah. yeah. And I think that that is, um, and I, I want to conclude with this. Uh, how many time we have left? Just a Don't few minutes here. Timer. Okay, I just want to conclude. I was thinking through the omniscience of God and just kind of bringing this home and how it relates to the gospel. Um, and at the end of uh, Packer's section on the omniscience of God, he talks about how there's really two uh, ways that this can play out. Mm-hmm. The first is if you are in Christ, if you if you know Jesus, you have a relationship with Jesus, then the omniscience of God is amazing. Mm-hmm. It's a unbelievable. Comfort, a joy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For all of those things. And, and then also it, it creates in you a greater love for Christ in that if you realize that Jesus knows every thought you ever had, he knows you, he knows your sin better than you know your sin. He knows you so intimately and, and yet, yet would still you anyway. come and and <laughs> And in the incarnation, come, leave the glory of heaven, come and die for you. That's amazing. Right. But it, at the same token, yeah. for those that do not have a relationship with Christ, yeah. the omniscience of God is a dreadful thing. Yeah. Because God still knows everything you've ever done. He knows every thought you've ever had. But there is no mediator. Yeah. There is no, there is no payment for that, that way that you have violated the commands of God, the way that you have violated the character of God. And he knows and he was there and he saw it and he knows it fully. And so that's a dreadful thing. And so I think when I think through how the omniscience of God, we have both of these sides of it. And the conclusion then <laughs> is to cling to Jesus, yeah. Yeah. to run to the mediator. Run yeah, you do to the see in Genesis, you see the initial reaction of discovering their their shame and nakedness is they try and hide from God. The one who sees and knows all. And yet God comes and, you know, their fig leaves that they've tried to cover themselves with, which are inadequate, Mm -hmm. are actually replaced because God sacrifices an animal, takes animal skin, and he clothes them with something. Yeah. Um, The last last in uh, Revelation 20, uh, verse 15, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. To us or to a non-believer, just fiction can't yeah. possibly happen. And yet the conscience convicts them mm-hmm. and knows that judgment is coming, yeah. which explains the fear of death. Yeah. Wow. That's why the, you know, the Bible, the, Paul speaks about with a great blessing. It's not that we know God, but that God knows us. Yeah. And it's not this talking about cognizant, like as he, he's aware of it. It's that, that covenantal, that relational knowledge that he knows us. Mm-hmm. And the great fear for the unbeliever is that you'll hear what Jesus speaks about Matthew 7, depart from me, I never, I never knew, knew you. And, and that's... You that's workers the, of iniquity. That's how you know, the gospel cuts. Yeah, cuts and drops. Both ways that to be in Christ is to be known yeah. by God. That he knows everything about us and yet enters in a relationship with us. To be outside of Christ is to not be known by the one who knows all things. Yeah. Wow. Sobering, sobering, yes. but glorious, glorious. Yes. Well, gentlemen, we've come to the end of our time together. I do want to mention that we are starting to develop some merch. <laughs> we have got some awesome... I don't know. We're going to we're gonna have to get a website or something just to show these awesome Presbyterian in quarantine drinking coffee cups. And uh, they may be available someday soon if we ever get a website. But uh, in the meantime, we're glad to have spent a few minutes with you here. Thank you so much for joining us. And we look forward to another episode of Presbyterians in Quarantine Drinking Coffee. Make it a great week, folks. We'll see you next time. This episode of Presbyterians in Quarantine Drinking Coffee is now over. You may now exit the quarantine zone.